You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Just what you needed. Our discussion of The Cars, the self-titled debut album from The Cars. It was produced by Roy Thomas Baker and released on June 6th, 1978 on Electra Records. The album was a major success for the band and remained on the U.S. charts for 139 weeks. Now, on the other mic today, you know, I don't mind him coming around and wasting all my time. He's a father. He's the lead singer and guitarist for Colburn and Company, and he's the host of the Tune Styles podcast. Brian Colburn, welcome to the show, Brian. Derek, thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to this today. As am I. So I know we went through, uh, originally we were going to do a Tom Petty record, and then you realized that the Cars was there, and you send me a desperate email saying, this is your favorite record, if I remember correctly. And so how could I refuse to let a man talk about his all-time favorite record? So that's why we're doing this one. So Brian, tell me, uh, how did this album enter your life? This album became a part of my life from as soon as I can remember listening to music. My parents, every Friday night, they would turn the TV off and pull out the records and put vinyl on. And just we would listen to music every Friday night. And this album from toddler on through my whole life was always one of the first ones my father would put on. And it was one of my favorite listens as a kid. And that has stuck with me for 40 something years. There's not a bad song to be had on this album. And put it this way, we listened to the album so much growing up that on our copy of the vinyl, there was a skip at the open of Good Times Roll, probably around the first chorus. And the first time I picked it up on CD when I was in my teen years, I heard it without the skip and I thought it sounded odd. So that's how many times I've listened to this album in the course of a lifetime. That's fantastic. So yeah, the, uh, the first time I remember hearing the cars was shake it up, uh, which came out, I think in 1981. So I had just moved to Florida and I had an aunt or I still do have an aunt who's six or seven years older than me. And so I remember listening to a lot of her music. This was one of those songs that was just everywhere. And I liked it, but I don't remember. I don't think I had the album. I don't think I bought Shake It Up. I had. I may have gotten the single. I may have gotten the forty-five. I always kind of liked the Cars. I thought they were they were good, but I never really got into the Cars. It's funny. The first time that I remember listening to this album, actually all the way through on purpose, was probably two thousand eleven. Wow. And of course, I knew all of these songs. I think there was only one song on here that I had not heard before. First time I had a dedicated listen. It was after they put out, because they put out an album in 2011. Like like this, yeah. Put out Move Like This, which was actually good. And so I did that. I need to actually go back and listen a little bit. And then some of their uh, other albums are, are okay and they have their moments. This is a band when they're on are great. And for this album, they are on. This is a great album. And so this went from, I kind of know this album to, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I fucking love this album. Uh, and so that's, and it always feels weird to, just because to, I was looking back at it, it was like, I think I didn't actually listen to it into, to, until 2011. Wow. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's, you know what? It's better to discover it at some point than never at all, because this is honestly... I think the blueprint for what a debut album should be. It's got 
everything. And it tells the story of the band in one album. If, if there was no other album by the Cars you ever listened to, this tells you their story in one album perfectly. But some of their other albums, as they grew on, they did experiment more with the pop and the 80s flavorings that kind of went more in the pop era where the earlier stuff, especially on this album, really dives into the power pop, new wave, and even punk in some spots on the album. I had a really difficult time putting my thoughts down to some of these songs because they're just so elemental. At some point, I'm hoping to do Tom Petty's Damn the Torpedoes, and I think I'm going to run into the same exact problem. Number one, like, what do you say about this album? Because this is considered to be one of the all-time great debuts, and this is considered to be just one of the all-time great, great records, period, first record or not. Like I said, I knew every single song on this album before I sat down and listened to this album, I think with one exception. So what do you say? This just feels like rock and roll DNA almost. How do you how do you talk about this album? And before we get into the track by track analysis, I just want to throw this out here because you're a, a fellow high school metalhead guy. And yeah, I yeah. find that the Cars album... And now it's the name of it is going to escape me because, like I said, I was never a huge fan. But the one that came out in what, like eighty six or eighty seven, like door to with door. a ma- door to door. So, like with Magic, is Magic on that? Magic was on Heartbeat City, which was also a fantastic album, much more poppy. But door to door had "You Are the Girl," which was in constant rotation on MTV. The band was in space. Terrible, terrible video. That's when the band was though imploding, and you could tell that there was just. Benjamin and Rick were just at each other's throats and struggling for who sang what. And it just didn't feel, didn't feel like a Cars album. It felt like everyone was trying to force their solo careers into it and put it under the Cars label. And I always felt like that was a sad footnote, especially for Benjamin, who passed away in 2001. But Move Like This was a nice tribute that they could do because obviously Benjamin wasn't alive at that point, but it was definitely a better footnote at the end of the band than, than door to door was. Okay. So I'm thinking of the album, like the album with magic on it and how often they sound a little bit like they, you could confuse some of those intros and some like, obviously the meat of the song is different, but some of the intros sound a lot like Def Leppard to me mm-hmm. and they shared a producer. That was one of those. I was like, ah, okay. Mutt Lang produced that record. I was just I about to say that was pure Mutt Lang coming out in the opening of magic with the how it kind of builds with the like it it, that's that is totally a Def Leppard song yes Uh, same same style same elements and that was the cars adapting to the, the changing musical times MTV was exploding at that point and between the You Might Think video where Rick Okasik's head was that of a, a bug, and then mm-hmm. the magic video where he's walking on the pool, found a new calling going the music video route because it really brought out the art, artsy side of the Cars to kind of play off the pop sensibilities. That is something that the Cars always juggled with, art and pop. And there was always a tongue-in-cheek humor to the lyrics. It was always very self-deprecating. That's never changed. Uh, if you... Some of the lyrics we're going to, you know, touch on in some of these songs today, they're dark lyrics spun in a real happy way. And that was something that Rick Ocasek was a genius for and uh, something that he's woven through their music through their whole career. Definitely. So let's go ahead and get started talking about the record we're here to talk about. So we have side one, track one, Let the Good Times Roll. Let the good times roll. Let the 
and this is a terrific opener. I mean, thematically, musically, just everything. This is everything you want in an album introduction. This is just straight out. You know what you're going to get. This is a template song almost because the first three tracks, I think, all have a very similar sonic palette, let's say. The guitar riff and the bass are just really great. And I find most of the time, I'm like not much of a lyrics guy, as I've mentioned before on the show. Uh, And so I I was looking at the lyrics and they're just kind of goofy, but something about the line, let them brush your rock and roll hair that I just love. I love that line. (laughs) I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but it's great. What do you think about this one? This song is uh, just a classic opening. The opening guitar calling and the uh, the bass that's just sliding down, call and response with the with the opening guitar, and it just kind of builds into that punch. And when the whole band kicks in, it's a sonic assault. It's one of those songs that just there's no better way to introduce the band. And anytime I would ever make a mix CD, even though the band even had a song called "Hello Again" that opened up Heartbeat City, you cannot open up a Cars mix CD and not start with "Good Times Roll" because it is the introduction to the band. That is how the band needs to be introduced. It was the first song on their first album. And it is literally, like you said, a just a fantastic introduction to the band. You also had mentioned that the uh, first three songs on the album have a similar sonic palette. They also have a similar runtime, meaning the exact same runtime. I noticed that because I used to (laughs) stare at this record all the time and look at the liner notes and look at the vinyl Three three minutes and 44 seconds for the first three songs. It almost seemed planned. This song just really punches you in a way that, for the time, it was introducing this new sound. New Wave was growing at this point. And there's a reason this album is one of the templates when it comes to New Wave music. And this song is, is the reason for it. I mean, it inspired generations. There's a reason Power Man 5000 covered it. That's almost 30 years after the fact. And in, in the new metal days, they somehow knew that this song was an inspiration enough to, to do their version of it. This is something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but you said it here. Now, do you really consider them to be a new wave band? Or do you think, think they just have elements of it? I think they have elements of it. When I think of new wave albums, I do put this one at the top of the list. I do think there are, though, the elements of power pop, synth, and punk that are all weaved in that give it its original sound. I feel like new wave and pop became what would be Heartbeat City. And then Door to Door was pure pop. I feel like the new wave was completely void by the time they got to that album. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they, they, you know, especially over the first two albums, The Car Self-Titled and Candio, I feel like they really mixed all four of those genres. And one other one that you're going to laugh at me when I say, but I, I truly mean it. There's an element of folk in the car's first album and, and through a lot of them. And it's based on the vocal harmonies because Rick Ocasek and Benjamin Orr prior to the cars were in a band called Milkwood, which was a folk rock band in line with Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And those vocal harmonies are weaved throughout all the songs on the cars. And there's a lot of times you hear these harmonies that, sound like they belong in a Crosby, Stills and Nash song, but here they are with the distorted guitars and the synth underneath it, which gave it, really made it stand out. I hadn't really thought about that. So let's go ahead and go on to track two, My Best Friend's Girl. You're always dancing down the street 
about this one i love this song this is one that uh, my band covers when we play out it's just a upbeat fun happy song the opening guitar just the 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 snare drum coming in it's just it almost feels like a 50s song brought into the current era of 1978 when the album came out current era not current era now and it just had this real poppy happy feeling and it's just a fun upbeat song and then you listen to the lyrics and it's not in any way shape or form and i think the tongue-in-cheek and part of that was what made this song so special because it's not she used to be my he's not happy about the situation but you have everybody in the background singing along with these upbeat happy things and he's laying it all out and the lyrics in this song are just so fantastic and so random at times your nuclear boots just everything he did to describe this person was so poetic and you could tell how much he really cared and it's not part of his life anymore. So it was just their way of taking this really sad moment and turning it into a real happy, upbeat sing-along. And there's a you know reason they launched this as the second single because following up of their the first single launch of Just What I Needed, they wanted it to still bring in that pop and radio element. And My Best Friend's Girl had radio rock written all over it at the time. Oh, yeah. And it was like you were looking into my notes because uh, this one has a, a similar opening as the first, you know, the first three all start with a little bit of that guitar chug and then the drums and then everything kind of comes in together. But this one has hand claps, which is fun. And I have it has like a throwback sound to it uh, where the synths played here are more like a 60s organ as opposed to like the glassy keys that we'll see a little bit later on in the record. Lyrically, the uh, verses don't make a whole lot of sense as far as how they lead into the choruses. Like I even had like the nuclear boots and, but the way the organ is played and even the, the guitar solo is plucked out as opposed to, you know, and it feels like something you would hear from, you know, Chuck Berry. The guitar is definitely kind of that early sixties sound to it a bit. Like there's a, a, a little bit of the country aspect that I talked about, the folk sound of Milkwood in that, because it's because of the finger picking, like you talked about. It has that, or you know, it's a late 50s, early 60s vibe as far as, you know, what, what those guys were doing at the time when it came to the solos and how it was, uh, yeah, and just like maybe that little touch of, touch of country to it. And like I said, but the verses don't really make any sense. And I love it. I love all of it. There's this odd synth line that comes in with like maybe 30 seconds left in the song. It's like, hey, let's just throw one more thing in here just because we can do that. <laughs> it's a great song. And it's one that I think I, I'd even confused with, uh, was it, uh, what was that guy's name? Rick Springfield had the song Jesse's, Jesse's Girl. Jesse's Girl, yes. And I, I, I think that was one as a kid because those both, I, I think I'm just, I'm just a couple years older than you. So these are like early memory radio stuff for me. So mm -hmm. I didn't, like I said, hear the cars tool a little bit later. I want to touch on one thing you said there, because uh, at the top of the show, you mentioned that the album was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, who mm -hmm. did a lot of the original Queen albums. And the layering that you're talking about is, I feel personally, this is pure opinion. I feel like he was, what he took away from, let's say, Queens and Night at the Opera, 
with the layering and the and the different way to make it sound larger than life is what he added to this album because these songs were from a four piece or five piece kind of garage rock band but these songs on this release sound so much larger than life and that's based on the layering that he did with the production of this album to make it just explode out of out of your speakers when it was listened to on vinyl and i think that's why they have the new wave tag that's been stuck to them there are some keys in there and there are a couple of songs here that i think are full-on new wave uh, I always think of them more as just like an elemental rock band that also dabbled with synths. Because I feel there's a lot more heart and soul in this than you would find, especially with some of the more new wave stuff where like everybody's playing a keyboard, which I'm not saying that is an insult, but just I think those songs, those bands sound just a lot different than what you're hearing from this Cars record. That brings us on to track three, Just What I Needed. I don't Again, it's three minutes and 44 seconds. It starts with a little guitar chug. It goes into the drums. And the synth hook in this song is so good. And you can tell, like you said, I didn't realize that this was, I forgot this was the lead single. And this is where you could see that they get the moniker of New Wave put on them because of that synth hook. I think this is just another, these first three songs, I, I just, I, you can't argue with them. And, and there's just nothing, you know, nothing bad to say about these first three songs right here. What do you think about this one? There's a reason this is the song that got them blowing up on Boston radio. This was the song that really got, radio started spinning this and it really helped the band kind of come into their own. And there's a reason this, there's a reason that Rhino, when they released the double greatest hits album in the nineties called it just what I needed. This was their really big introduction to the world where I personally feel like good times roll introduces the band at an album level at the single level. You couldn't have a better introduction to this band than just what I needed. And again, that, that you know, a lot of the songs on this album have seen different covers by them, including in the early 2000s, Sister Hazel did a cover of it, and the whole band decided that that would be the lead single of their album Rift. And that's the reason why Just What I Needed was a lead single on a Sister Hazel album some 20-something years later, because the song just holds that much influence on bands. And sure. there's a reason. It's just too damn catchy, and it's too damn perfect of a pop song. And you got to give credit where <laughs> credit's due, and that's exactly what we're looking at here. Yeah, this is the, the perfect pop rock song. This is everything you want in you know the three minute forty four second package. So track four, I'm in touch with your world. What are your thoughts here? This is the one as a kid. This was the one, if I had to say, least favorite song on the album, because I don't hate it. But if I had to pick for a least favorite song on the album, if I was scoring this, this would have to be the one just based on how weird 
and experimental it was compared to the rest of the album. There's a lot of guitar work that Elliot Easton's doing on this that's just very trippy and very uh, not in sync with the rest of the beat. The beat is swaying around a little bit. The song is very cerebral. It's almost psychedelic. And there's just so much going on that in this context of the album, it's fantastic because it's a nice needed break to really kind of drive a stake in the fact of, hey, we're not just poppy hooks here. There's some substance to the band. And it really is a curveball. If there was a ballad on the album, this like uh, I was listening to your Mechanical Renaissance episode about Tesla, and you said usually around track three or four is where the ballad comes in. If this were a ballad, not like Drive is on Heartbeat City, but this would be that on this album, just a slower, off-timed, strange composition if you're listening to it all the way through you really understand the context of where this fits in the in the album as a whole but i understand why this wasn't a single and i probably assume it would not do well for the reasons i talked about so this is the only song i had not heard so when i sat down and listened to this for the first time this was the only one that was brand new to me and i could see why i don't like this song once again like if we're going to use ben's lingo this is my one as well <laughs> uh, i i don't really care because i don't like the what i call like the lazy rhythm because it get that boom 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 and then the little cowbell or something and i yep. just i i don't like it and i there's a handful of songs and i couldn't think of any and i didn't want to go searching for songs i don't like uh that do the same thing and it's just it's a obviously a specific choice to, to follow this rhythm and I just don't like it and I don't like when other bands do it as well so there's been I had talked about on another podcast when I was talking about uh, Elton John's Madman Across the Water and that was one that I had picked up later and I knew about half of that album before I had listened to the whole album of course right and then once you are faced with and I'm sure you've gone through this as well when you're faced with an album that you you've kind of heard, but you haven't really listened to yet. And when you get to that first song that you're not familiar with, now you have to face the ego, is this filler or unfamiliar? And sometimes it takes a few listens before it catches up to the songs that you know. So, you know, you go in like, right. okay, I've heard Levon a hundred thousand times, but I've never heard Razorface, you know, just by example. So, uh, so this is one that I, I did make sure to listen to quite a few times just to try to catch it up. And I just, I don't care for it. It has a few flashes where it sounds like it's going to turn itself into a good song. It's going to tighten up that rhythm and it's going to have some drive to it. And then it just doesn't. It goes right back down into that that kind of circus rhythm almost. And I just, uh, I, it's not a terrible song. And I was playing this on vinyl just on Saturday night, you know, getting ready for the show. And, and I didn't find myself wanting to pick up the needle or anything. So, but if I'm listening to this through streaming or something, I may kind of, you know, this one may get a little bit of the fast forward. The way I say it is, it's not my favorite song on the album, but I could not imagine listening to this album in full without it. And I get your, and it's, it's, pla it, it's placed where it needs to be. Like if you put this song at track two or track three, that screws up the rhythm of the album. So putting it, Bearing it track four, you know, second to last song on, on side one. That makes sense. I, I get what it what it's doing. It, there are no ballads really on this album. And it's sort of taking the place of that. I think I would actually prefer to hear a legitimate ballad from these guys right at this point. 
but this is what they decided to to give us and this is what we'll take i'm also very thankful though that they didn't close the side with this song because i feel like it would have left people underwhelmed to end the side and i think the important thing that they do is follow this song up with which is probably the most aggressive song on the album right so let's go ahead and jump on into that one so don't you stop track five This swings it right back up, and I was thinking, at, once again, my exact same note. I'm glad we didn't end side one with uh, with track four, because obviously this is a, a nine-track album. It could have happened that way, so fortunately it did not. This has a really great guitar intro, and it's different in tone uh, than those first three. In it. So this is uh, it, it's got a completely different guitar sound, and it's just a, a little more angular. And this is where kind of that new wave post-punk kind of feel it's just like a cool frantic synth line that goes through the whole thing just listening to this one a bunch of times recently that the guitar intro actually sounds similar to uh, a polish band a song from a polish band called lady pank i'll send you a link to it later because i not pronounce the name <laughs> of the song very well. Uh, but it's like Chris uh, Najichona or something. So it's got a similar tone. So it doesn't sound like anybody was ripping anybody off, but it's just one of those, uh, you know, kind of playing in the same sandbox type thing. So this is just such a, this is such a great way to end side one. You got those, those three just all time greats. You got something that's, all right, we're going to put you off your axis for a little bit. And then we're going to come back and just smack you down. What do you think of this one? This is the song on the album that I bring the punk influence into. And I'm not, mm. when I say punk, I'm not talking like Ramones punk. I just feel like there's this post-punk feel to the song. It's very angst. It's probably the heaviest Cars song, at least on the first few albums. Maybe uh, Don't Tell Me No from the Panorama album might be considered a little heavier. Um, but this song is just aggressive and fast. And it's definitely the punkiest thing on this album. And it's an exciting, fun way to bring the listener back after I'm in touch with your world, which is very much an experimental kind of transition. And this brings you right back to that sound that while this was not a single, I could possibly I could have seen this doing quite well on on radio at the time, just because of the fact that they were experimenting with some more punk sounds on modern rock radio at the time. And I feel like this song is a perfect close to the first side because it leaves you wanting more and it's just upbeat. It's fun. You got the call and response between the don't you stop. And if it makes you feel good, the call and response from the, from uh, Rick to the rest of the band, I just, it's a perfect way to end the side. It's just upbeat and fun and you can't really ask for more than that. And this is when I feel got had a little bit of a life on AOR because I know it wasn't a single, but I know I've heard this song. I had heard this song before. So I think this is one that's still got some some radio play. Yeah. 
Well, that brings us to the end of side one of the Cars self-titled debut on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Brian Colburn. Brian, tell us a bit more about Tune Styles. We mentioned your podcast up at the top of the show. What's the concept? Tune Styles was started by uh, my buddy Jay and I when we were in a parking lot tailgating for a Poison Cheap Trick concert a few years ago. We had spent the whole afternoon just sitting there having a couple drinks and talking music, probably a good three or four hours. And it was the first time we had, you know, gotten a break from the, the kids and, and, and the monotony of life and work and everything else. And I said, dude, this has been real refreshing just to be able to talk music for a while and kind of, you know, let our nerd flags fly for a little bit. He said, yeah, dude, we should we need to do this more often. And we just started talking. We said, dude, why don't we just sit down with some mics and start talking about all the music we like and maybe try to bring in some people that we enjoy talking music with and throw out topics and just kind of make it like a roundtable conversation. And that's the way we started the show. We started building it up kind of around just topics. Favorite band that did a 180 from their original sound. Bands people love to hate. Favorite 80s power ballads. Favorite soundtracks. And then we started getting, you know, people chiming in. So we started kind of having a conversation with people from the podcast to uh, what they were saying and kind of um, ranting and discussing the stuff that people chimed in with and then the show also evolved to having a second layer where we would bring musicians who we both enjoy onto the program to talk about their music in more of a long style format the one thing we didn't want to do was just bring a musician on and say okay so what are you working on right now let's plug your brand new album because i didn't want it to be just a sounding doc i wanted it to be a place where we could really kind of dive into our nerd questions that we had for these artists. And that's something we've tried to do throughout all of them, where we try to balance the questions with, okay, why is this person here? They're obviously promoting something. They have a story to tell. So we want to do the news side of it, but we're nerds and we want to be able to ask questions that might be off topic and might not be the questions they get every interview. Just to tie this all into the cars a little bit, one of the recent guests we had on the show was Will Turpin, who's the bass player for Collective Soul. And one of the nerd questions I asked was, they have a song on their one of their albums called Hollywood. It's one of my favorite songs. came out around 2007, 2008. I think the album was called Afterwards. And I said to him, I listen to this song and I hear a very strong influence from, and before I can finish the sentence, he goes, oh, the cars. Yeah, the <laughs> band went in to write this song with the car's sound and feel and vibe in mind. And on their latest album, they have a song called Right Is Rain. And he said flat out, this song was written as our love song to Tom Petty. So it, it is using the damn the torpedoes style and vibe. And it's their influence, that Tom Petty influence on this band coming out in that song. And that's kind of the stuff that we like to talk about. Not the questions of, Tell us about your brand new album. What was it like recording? Your... We'll get to some of that, but we really want to kind of dig deep and ask questions that we've been wondering all these years listening. And that's kind of the way the show is. And when did you feel like you were getting it right? Did you feel like right out of the gate? So not even so much with the celebrity interviews. I know that uh, that takes some time to just get used to and find your footing. But when it comes to just the conversations between you and Jay, did you feel like right from 
episode one that you knew what you were doing or did it take a couple of uh, episodes to gel? When did you feel like it was that you really found the voice for Tune Styles? Jay and I worked in radio in New York City together back in 2000. So we both knew the ins and outs of, of what goes on in radio. So sitting down and getting the technical part of it, we were never uncomfortable with microphones and recording and setup and all the other things that sometimes new podcasters are. And that's not putting down new podcasters because a lot of people have never recorded before. So the technical side of it to us was not the complicated part. It was making sure we had a good rapport and that we didn't stumble over each other and getting that flow down. We feel like, you know, there was definitely a few episodes in the beginning that we were kind of slow out of the gate, meaning we took our time to let the episode evolve. And now we kind of are so used to talking back and forth with each other. We kind of know the pacing and the pacing of the show became much more comfortable as we kept doing it with each other. And there's been episodes, unfortunately, that he hasn't been able to participate in because he still works in television broadcasting. And there sometimes we have an interview scheduled and 10 minutes before he's got an emergency call and I'm left, you know, hopping on the call alone. And I do feel personally that those shows take on a different tone because that rapport isn't there, but we are comfortable enough that we know content and where we're coming from. The heart of what we're doing is there. And that's kind of what we're just trying to put out there. We, we just love talking about music. It's our way of kind of taking a break from the real world and being able to even come on here and talk about one of my favorite albums with you is just so rewarding for me and so much fun to be able to kind of discuss these songs that had an impact on me with other people. I love it. And this is kind of my way. This is my break from the norm and, and the break from the everyday. Oh, agreed. Uh, I've learned so many things doing this show. Uh, and I love talking to people about their experiences because we're generally talking about either their favorite record or one of their favorite records. And everybody has a different approach and everybody has something personal connected with that album that I could never you know, touch in the same thing, you know, and I have my own experiences and that's, that's what's made this show really satisfying. And now a word from one of our friends. Hello, my name is Nick. And I'm Mika. And we are the Sound of History podcast. Each week, I try to teach Mika music history by telling her the story of a musical style or artist. Join us every Thursday as I learn the whole story of American popular music. Back to the show. Okay, we're going to flip this bad boy over. Track six, You're All I've Got Tonight. me what you got here brian this is definitely the where i say don't you stop is the rocker of the album in a punk style you're all i've got tonight is the hard rock anthem this is the arena rock just driving balls to the wall hard rock side of the cars that you don't get often throughout their career and there's a reason the smashing pumpkins covered this song it speaks to hard rock minds the driving toms, the way the beat just kind of drives you, even when you're taking it down 
in the bridge of the song, but in the pre-choruses, before it builds into that massive You're All I Got Tonight chorus, it just drives and builds and builds. And when it punches in, it rocks and the song stays that way. Again, flipping the side, this is side two of the cars for me. I've always felt is a perfect album side. I know side one is the side with all the hits, but to me, side two of the cars, I like into the second half of Abbey Road by the Beatles. I feel like it's scenes from an Italian restaurant by uh, Billy Joel, where it's multiple stories all being told in, in one statement. And while You're All I Got Tonight kicks things off, the songs we're going to get to after it, I feel, are, are one continuous statement, which we'll get to soon. But you can't tell me that You're All I Got Tonight doesn't just rock from start to finish. Oh, completely. This is such a great way to start side two. And, uh, and I've talked a lot about here with listening to this stuff on vinyl. And, and this is a one that I do own on vinyl now and picked up. I, I must have bought it here in Poland. And I just don't remember exactly when. And normally I have a pretty good memory for that. And this one I was playing, I'm like, I don't remember getting this one. <laughs> but uh, and I've listened to it a lot. And it's yeah. And a lot of times I only have time to really listen to one side. Because it'll be like after I get the kids into bed and I want to kind of maximize my listening. And so I will listen to just one side and then I'll go on to the next record and listen to one side, you know, that kind of thing. And more often than not, even though, you know, you, it's really hard to argue with that one, two, three punch on, on side one, man, side two is so fucking good. And this song is so good. And this has to be like a soundtrack of every teen movie this should be in you know this should just be in there you know and it it rocks and I, I i love how the guitar kind of floats at the beginning going along with the drum beat and so it's got just that different feel to it going in and and some really uh you know cool keyboard work and and i think this is one where you can also see where the new wave tag would be applied to this song uh, a bit just because of the keyboard sound to it but yeah this song rocks i mean there's just there's no two ways about it this is such a such a good way to start off this really terrific album side and on on to track seven bye bye love it's orangey sky such a great opening for this song a lot of those on this album i realized that, that looking through my notes it was like oh almost every song has this kind of like cool hook right at the very beginning some kind of cool opening even if it's just that chug 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 boom you know and then it's there and this one's a little bit different and it's got some really fancy bass work going on at the very top of the song a really cool synth solo uh, there's a lot to like about this song i think this is a great tune what do you think of this one what i i want to jump on what i said in the last uh, song you're all i got tonight to me bye bye love moving in stereo and all mixed up are one statement the songs weave in and out of each other for the rest of the album so i i don't know if that was intentional on roy thomas baker's part or if the band decided on this but these three songs weave in to the point where if i'm listening to the song and it comes on on the radio if bye bye love is on the radio and i don't hear moving in stereo i actually get annoyed <laughs> so <laughs> when I ripped the CD, I made sure to actually bridge 
tracks seven, eight, and nine as one track. When I listen to it digitally, my album only has seven tracks because track seven is Bye Bye Love slash Moving in Stereo slash All Mixed Up because I feel it's one continuous statement. And I can't not listen to Bye Bye Love without taking it all the way through All Mixed Up to me. It's, it's an 11-minute song. Bye Bye Love, I could not agree more. The bass line, the little slap bass that he's doing in the opening is real funky up against the piano that's a little more new wavy. This song also brings in some elements of that punk and power pop that the Cars really perfected with this album. And again, those vocal harmonies are, I feel like they're pulling from the folk era. They're really using a lot of three-part harmonies that kind of weave this song. And it just tells a fantastic story. Again, happy upbeat song, not happy topic. Again, keeping that theme that uh, Rico Kasich does so well. Uh, but this is one of the songs, one of the four songs that Benjamin Orr actually sings on. And I will throw in there that I was probably 15 years old when I realized the Cars had more than one singer. Yeah, say, I had no idea because their voices are so similar. Now you can hear, I think you can hear the difference, but they, they have very similar voices. And I always just thought of Rico Kasich as the singer. Me uh, as well. That, yeah. <laughs> and and they worked so well vocally off each other that even if it was one singing, you automatically knew it was the cars. And there's not many bands that could pull that off where a band would have a second singer sing a song where I know Grand Funk has done that a couple of times. Obviously, Crosby, Stills and Nash. But there's not a lot of bands where you can have different singers, different lead singers on a track and really nail down who you're listening to. And the cars had that down perfect. Going on to track eight, moving in stereo. Life's the same, I'm moving in stereo. Life's the same, except for my shoes. Life's the same, you're shaking like tremolo. Life's the same, it's all inside you. What do you think here? Oh, man, this one is this is sonic bliss to me. This song, the way it was produced, it sounds so fantastic. The panning of the vocals and the guitar parts and everything else. It's just so sonically well done. It is eerie and it's heavy and it's strong. There's so many words to describe this song. The lyrics are odd. And they kind of weave in and out of this kind of slower paced. I mean, compared with I'm in touch with your world is the only other kind of slower song and mm. moving in stereo is kind of mid tempo. It's not like ballad by any means. You're not getting a drive out of this, but I mean, when you slow it down from your all I got tonight, don't you stop by by love. It is taking a step back, but there's just a lot going on. And I feel like the song just continues to build. And the song could have went on for 30 minutes on the album. And I probably would have been okay with it. I love this song. I fucking love this song. This is bar none my favorite song on the album. This is my favorite song by the Cars. This is one of my all-time favorite songs, period. I just love this song. Like I said, it's got this kind of creepy vibe to it. And this is the first time where I really feel like the keyboards take the lead, that the guitar isn't the lead instrument, but it's just got that, just the way the drums and the bass work, you know, because it's like really crisp drum work on it. And it just, it kind of floats and it's a little bit eerie and creepy, all the best ways. And 
Uh, I've talked about this a couple of times. So I made a mixed disc for my sister a few years ago. It's like the best one I've ever done. It was a bunch of songs that I thought that weren't necessarily about vampires, but could be. And this is a song I included on that. And so I feel like this, the story of this could be this person who has just been turned into a vampire and he's now realizing his new powers. I know that is not what the song is about. I'm not saying, but I just, I like that reading <laughs> for this particular mix. And so, cause when it goes into that kind of creepy vibe and it's like, you know, everything's moving at a different pace now. And it's just, uh, I, I, I love, I love the way the vocals go. I love the key sound. It just, everything in this is great. And you know, that, that this was moved, used in a movie that I think was formative for all of us is, uh, you know, I don't need to mention what's going on in this fast times at Ridgemont high with this song. <laughs> that gave a whole new meaning to the song to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just an all timer for me. Just, I love this song. So with track nine, all mixed up. It took me a long time to get into this song. Now, it, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that these three all kind of work together for you because I have seen moving in, stere moving in Stereo and All Mixed Up uh, together as one track in a few different places. So it was like, uh, you know, how there's the two songs from Zeppelin that they always play together or the two songs from Queen that always get played together. I've seen this where these two get played together all the time. Uh, and it took me a while to get into All Mixed Up because I love moving in stereo so much. So a lot of times that song that's right after your favorite song suffers by comparison. Mm -hmm. And it took me a bit to, to work my way through that because this is a great song. It's such a great song and it's a terrific closer because there's a lot going on here. And I can see where this is Queen's producer because there's just a ton of a ton of stuff, interesting stuff going on in this one. It's like, they're, they're like, okay, this is the last track. Let's just throw everything we got here. And it's, there's at times it reminds me a little bit of the moody blues. Um, and it's just got this kind of almost regal section to it, which I know sounds kind of weird, but um, you know, there's a grandiosity to it and there's a lot of just really cool stuff happening here. And it just, it's a terrific way to end because there's just, there's a pomp and circumstance to it. And it really lets you know that it's going out, that, that you can't just expect one thing from this band because those first three tracks are just so kind of like elemental rock and roll. And then you get these last three tracks that are a lot of different things going on. So this is one big song for you. Let me hear how it ends. Man, All Mixed Up is such a brilliant way to end the album. The song just keeps building and building i mean it starts with just the little guitar part over the the rim shot of the snare and it just keeps building and building and building and by the end of the song you've got this beautiful harmony call and response between benjamin Orr and the rest of the band leading into a fantastic saxophone solo that was done by greg hawks which seems out of the blue on the record but for some reason in this grandiose closing of an album it just works. 
and it's yeah. not something they used a lot but to close out this album i can't picture this song without it coming weaving out of those vocal harmonies that i again like that those almost folk-esque vocal, vocal harmonies from everybody leave it to me everything will be all right it's it's like a statement it's it's a beautiful closing to an album and it just kind of leaves the door open it's like the cliffhanger of what can this band do next and i feel like it's the perfect way to close the album because it gives you a little bit of everything there's a little bit of the weirdness that's in i'm in touch with your world and it's kind of coming out of moving in stereo so it's trying to pick up the pace a little bit but it's not going towards the don't you don't you stop and you're all i got tonight it's just kind of it's the it's the last chapter it's the it's the bookend and i feel like when you listen to the opening notes to Good Times Roll, by the time you get to the end of All Mixed Up, it's almost a surprise that they got from point A to point B. But when you listen to the album as so many times as I have, it's the perfect story. It's the opening lick all the way to the, the final crescendo of leading out of All Mixed Up. I mean, I couldn't think of a better way to close this album. No, it's uh, they just they do so much and... And as different as it sounds, it still feels like it's a part of the, you know, it feels like it's a chapter uh, as opposed to just from out of left field, which uh, I think I'm in touch with your world really felt like kind of out of left field. Whereas this one, it just brought all these different elements together that they had been doing. And then, you know, the saxophone was a little bit of surprise. And you know, sometimes when they get somebody to just come in and throw some sax down at the end, it usually it's like, oh, really? You know, but yeah, this yeah. one, it totally works and uh yeah a fantastic finish so what are your final thoughts on the cars my final thoughts is it's a perfect album when people say to me what are your favorite albums of all time i can't spit this album out quick enough probably because it's been one of my favorite albums since i was still learning how to talk so these were some of the first songs i learned how to sing to learned how to clap along with, you know, as a, as a toddler dance to like, this was like, I grew up with this album and I can listen to it at the drop of a hat any given time. And if I start the opening riff of good times roll, I have to listen to the whole album. This is one that I don't like listening to when it comes out on shuffle because I want to hear the album in, in full. There's not many albums that give me that excitement. There, there are some, but, for the opening statement of a band and everything the album has to say from the upbeat, poppy, good times to the weird eclecticness of the band to a band that was kind of bridging genres and possibly creating a whole new one with their sound. And there was just, it's a perfect album as far as I'm concerned. I would not change a thing on it. I've heard the deluxe version. I've heard some of the songs that didn't make the final nine tracks that were left off of it. They were also featured on a couple of compilations down the road. I'm glad they weren't because I feel like the album's perfect as is. And in listening to the songs that weren't on it, I just don't hear them. And I feel like they made the perfect statement with this album. And it's hard to believe that this is their first record. Now I know that uh, Rick Ocasek and, and Benjamin Orr had been in a couple other bands. And so they weren't, you know, babes in the woods or anything, but that they were able to put together such a statement because this is, this sounds like it's album three, you know, a band that's matured, that's figured out what they want to do. That's understands the studio process and then puts out, this is their damn the torpedoes, but damn the torpedoes was, was album what, three or four. Right. Uh, yeah. So that this is their first album is still pretty impressive. 
you know, we've seen a, a plenty of people put together fantastic first records. So it's not like this is unprecedented, unprecedented or anything, but man, this is just so good. And one of those albums that even if you don't think you've heard it, you've heard it as I learned in 2011, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a great, great record and one that I'm happy to spin at any time. And I think anybody listening, if they haven't listened to this album yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. I mean, in its entirety, not just good times roll here, just what I needed there. I mean, start to finish all nine tracks, listen to it as a statement, because this is one of the albums that really is a statement. It's a, it's a snapshot in time. It, it is a perfect album. Listen. And, you know, as we move more and more into the singles era that we have from the eighties all the way through now, Bands don't put out statements like they do in full albums as often. They still do, but not as often. And this is one of those just perfect statements. Yeah, I would agree. Real quick, Brian, tell me, where can the people find tune styles? And I want to say that this is a a, a word that you guys have, I think, made up. So, you know, don't go looking for it. It's tune styles, correct? Yes. It is based on a turnstile like you'd see in New York when we used to work together. We'd always be, you know, walking around in the city, going on the subway, and we'd always hit the turnstiles. And as a joke, I said, oh, we should just take the word turnstiles and make it tune because all we ever do is talk music. And I'll throw a set of uh, headphones onto a turnstile. And that became our logo. Literally just us spitballing as we were driving in the car. We could be found at tunestylespodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify, all the different places you find podcasts. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at Tune Styles Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Tune Styles. And we don't do TikTok. And the world is a better place because of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would definitely encourage uh, any of my listeners to uh, to tune in to Tune Styles. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I prefer the ones where you and Jay just sort of nerd out. as opposed, like The interview ones are good. I have to say that I listen to the Richie Codeson. Uh, and I don't like Poison. I don't really care for Mr. Big. I really love that interview that you did with him. It was a lot of fun. So Yeah, the, the nerding out episodes are where we, that's us just being friends. Jay will make a mistake and he'll mention that some rapper's been dead for 20 years when he's still putting out albums. And it's it, we don't bring notes. You know, we bring questions for the guests. But when we do these roundtables, we write down what people chime in with. And then we just do it off the top of our head because it's so much fun because when someone makes a mistake, it, it becomes just a battlefield. And it's a lot of fun doing that. And we kind of enjoy that. And we love when people actually chime in post episode saying, dude, you're totally wrong about this. And we'll we'll fully go back on an episode and call it out if we if we mislabeled something because we're, we're in no way, shape or form saying we're the be all end all authorities on anything. But we also don't want it to be like we have every single fact laid out in front of us. We kind of want it to be more about the discussion and about getting it wrong and just talking and enjoying the nerdery of it all. Mm. So we're, we're not so much a facts-based show. We do try to make everything factual and we do correct ourselves when we're wrong. But it's all about kind of the, the discussion about it. And because we say this a million times on the show, every song we talk about is subjective. Here I am talking about the cars being one of my favorite albums of all time. And I'm sure one of your listeners is like, how can anybody like that pile of steaming shit? And we're, there's neither one of us are wrong. It's just an opinion. And it's the music is still there. And it's a, it's part of the discussion about all of it. And that's what we enjoy the most. 
and that really shines through. You guys have a good rapport. Uh, I would encourage if the listeners kind of, because you have quite a few episodes, if they're not sure where to start, I think a fun place to start is your fairly recent episode talking about 80s metal. If only because you get to hear Jay be wrong every single time. He gets the <laughs> album or the song or every fucking time. I was in the grocery store where I have a mask on my face. I have plastic gloves on my hands. I have the headphones on. And now I'm an American. I live in Poland and I'm listening. And at one point, I swear to God, I say out loud, come on, Jay, one of them. Get one of these right. <laughs> That's fantastic. He had a hard time with that Aussie stuff, man. He And, and I'm sitting there, I'm trying to hold it in, not laughing. And Sean, uh, the guest on that show from the What Does It Matter podcast was just, he he didn't even flinch. He would just go, wrong. And, yeah. I, I, <laughs> and I just kept losing it. Because, it's you know, Jake Ely. It's Jake Ely. Just say yeah, Jake Ely. Yeah. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> Again, I said that and, out loud. And that's kind of the fun of it because had we prepared that we were going to talk about it, he would have looked up on Wikipedia, had all the names written down, wouldn't have been as fun. So having that friendly banter in there is what it's all about. And having that, you know, for to be able to have that rift on songs and not agree on why they're good or why they're, and that that's fun to have that every now and then a little, little conflict I'd say. Certainly. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun to be had. I would encourage my listeners to, uh, to check that out wherever podcasts are delivered. You can find it. Brian Colburn of Tune Styles, once again, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It's always fun to talk to somebody, not just when it's one of their favorite records, but when it is their favorite record. So thanks for coming and we'll talk to you next time. Dude, I appreciate you having me. I love your I love what you're doing here. And you're it's a pleasure to be part of one of your seasons. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.